Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian, he's been living here in Japan for over two decades now, and for about half of that time he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. Okay, so as promised in our last published JREP session, we've got a special treat for you today. Byron Nagy, hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, Byron, whose family have relocated from Tokyo to the Japanese countryside, where they've been working on an amazing project for the past year or more. Um, and Byron's our guest on the show today. They've got an organic farm, a beautiful old farmhouse that they've renovated into a farm stay lodging accommodation. And they're now almost done with the construction of the new home nearby, which has been built using a unique combination of traditional techniques and materials alongside, alongside a modern conveniences and facilities. Truly remarkable and extremely challenging project that we're going to hear all about, as well as see. He's given us a full hands on tour of the house as well. So enjoy the ride, and I'll see you again on the other side. Go. All right, Japan Real Estate Experts panel back in session. And as we have promised you um, last week, well, it wasn't last week, but you're going to be hearing it last week. Um, <laughs> We have a special guest um, on the on the uh, session today, so uh, we're not going to do self introductions today. We're going to um, immediately dive into uh, Byron's repertoire and history, and um, apparently very exciting things that he's been up to. So, Byron, the stage is yours. Who are you? What are you doing in Japan? You, when did you come to Japan? So I've been in Japan now about twenty years. Uh, I came from the U.S., from the East Coast, New York, New Jersey area, and uh, my family is from Europe, but I, I grew up in the city in, in, in the United States. And um, I mean, I came to Japan as a student initially, and then I worked in like a white collar uh, profession in Tokyo for the first 10 years or so. And then it was after the earthquake and the uh, the uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster and all that, that we, my wife at the time or my girlfriend at the time, and now she's my wife, we, we were both kind of questioning the, uh, the consumer lifestyle that we were living in Tokyo. And just in terms of like food security and energy security, uh, we had this desire to kind of be more in control of like the environment that we are in and the, uh, the food and the energy that we consume and kind of like house building and construction 
was an extension of that. You know, we looked at contemporary, uh, you know, construction methods in Japan uh, after we had a child and, and we were thinking about building a house here. And I was just kind of, you know, very dissatisfied with the, the idea of building something that would be turned, you know, by the time you pay off a loan, uh, you know, the value of the, of the building would be, would be nothing. And, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, had been looking at the traditional Japanese uh, construction techniques and uh, the traditional like carpentry techniques. And it was something that I always had like a lot of respect for. Uh, but I felt like there were so many disconnects between that and what like a modern, comfortable lifestyle uh, should be, at least in terms of how I saw it. Um, so we kind of set off on our own house building adventure here. I mean, you can see the house behind me. It's in a, a process of construction, but we're kind of on the, the last stages of it now. Um, you know, we really um, kind of explored a lot of different avenues in terms of mixing traditional Japanese techniques with uh, other more modern natural building techniques and passive solar design and, uh, you know, like high standards in terms of uh, uh, um, insulation and, uh, you know, basically building performance and longevity. That's a recurring uh, topic on our sessions as well. The, uh, the lack of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So over the last couple of years, more recently, I mean, in addition to the house that, that, you know, it's been kind of like a, a dream house project where I've, I've started five, six years ago, learning how to drive an excavator and then cutting the trees down from the mountain myself and then doing all the rock work and, and learning the process behind the Oh, foundation. the rock story. I love the rock story. Yeah. <laughs> all the, the, the concrete and, and then doing all the traditional Japanese timber frame construction and then employing a lot of other uh, like natural building earth, uh, like natural uh, plastering and earthen, earthen wall techniques, like earthen floor, like a, like a natural adobe floor and stuff. And uh, the house itself is made using like light straw clay infill, which is a technique where you, where you, um, you, you use like a mix of straw uh, that's mixed with a coating of clay to kind of bind it together. And then that's pushed into a formwork to form like a thick, uh, a thick insulative layer around the exterior of the house. Um, and it's, it's 30 centimeters thick. So it's, it's very similar to a straw bale construction, except that you're not building with blocks. You're, you're mixing a material and then compacting it inside like a matrix inside the walls. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're kind of on the final stages of building this house, but now I'm kind of turning my sights to other real estate and um, uh, natural building potential projects here in Japan. In, aside from the house, we also renovated a 150-year-old Japanese uh, farmhouse, like a kominka, and we operate that as Yokomura Eco Lodge, uh, which is like a, a farm-to-table bed and breakfast where we we have people come and and they they also come up to the farm and kind of do like a whole uh, farm-to-table type experience when they when they can come. And uh, that house as well, we've kind of employed uh, a bunch of, we, we've done something called uh, furu tatami koho in Japanese, which is using uh, old tatami mats. Well, old in the sense that they're used, but not rotting tatami mats. Yeah. The, the more modern tatami mats are, are actually made with styrofoam cores. And uh, basically we get that material for free from old tatami uh stores in the area that we have a relationship with. And we use that as insulation material around the whole exterior of the house. So we used like 150 uh, tatami mats. And then there's like Tyvek on the outside of that. So the whole house is insulated with, with tatami and it, and it performs surprisingly well. 
So, so you're saying, because my, my image, and I must be very uneducated on this, but you're saying, when I hear, um, you know, eco living or off the grid or, or um, you know, natural living style, I'm thinking I'm going to be lacking all of the modern conveniences that I seek usually. But you're saying you actually got into that because you wanted to get those in. So how, how do the two gel together? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that traditionally a lot of Japanese houses, uh, especially when you look at how people live back in the day, I mean, they had like a like a like a open fire inside their house. And that means they, they needed good air ventilation. And Japan's also a very humid climate. So, um, you know, being able to ventilate in the summertime is great, uh, but it, it sucks when it's cold and, uh, you know, you need to use space heaters and, and, and you're losing all that heat to the environment around you. So, I mean, I kind of wanted to, to thin the line, uh, thread the, the fine line or the thread the needle rather uh, between, um, you know, the aesthetics that I appreciate and the traditional techniques that I appreciate about Japanese construction, because clay as a, as a building material is great because it, it lets vapor pass through it, right? That's the big problem with, with using non-organic materials in houses that you get moisture stuck because of non-vapor permeable materials like insulation. And then moisture gets built up in the house and you start getting mold problems over, over, over time. Um, so like clay as a, as a material is great in the sense that, um, you know, you can avoid all that, but it's also very heavy and very labor intensive as Matt can attest to. And uh, it's very heavy. <laughs> it's, it's not used in contemporary construction for very, very uh, obvious reasons that mostly being that labor is expensive and uh, it, it's not like a conducive to, um, you know, quick building. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's part of what, it's always impressed me so much about what Byron is doing is just like, you know, threading the needle and Ziv to go back to your point about, you know, when you hear about off the grid living, you know, it's cavemen and mountain people and hermits and, you know, that guy who was living in a cave for like 30 years until they found him recently and doesn't know how to wear clothes. Mm. Um, like that's, that's like the legend of it, right? Whereas the modern 2020 or 21st century or whatever version is like, okay, let's be practical about things. What can we do that, okay, maybe like with clay and whatnot, okay, that takes time, labor intensive, but you know, if it's a passion project or it's something that you take on your own, and especially if your expectations are in alignment with the reality of doing something like that, then it's feasible in the sense that you're not going to be disappointed in sort of the progress that you make however slow or quickly that is. Additionally, with things like Wi-Fi, right? If you want to be a mountaintop hermit, all right, cool. You probably don't need Wi-Fi there or whatever. But in, you know, if you want to be off the grid in a modern sense, it's not necessarily completely separated from society. It's being able to balance, you know, what are the necessary sort of accoutrements and, um, uh, you know, tools and whatnot, resources that you need to be quote unquote successful, whatever that means in the modern age, while also being in tune with nature to the extent that, again, is kind of reasonable. Right? That was actually going to be my next question um, because um, 
how how are you dealing with the infra? Where where exactly in Japan are you, Byron? We're on the border of Yamanashi and Kanagawa Prefecture. So the house is technically in Kanagawa, in in a town called Fujino, which is technically part of Sagamihara City, but it's just off the Chuodo, um, past Sakubiko, before you get to Otsuki. Um, how are you there with infrastructure? So. Is that part of the plan or do you have like, um, are you on water, uh, city water, city gas, Wi-Fi, internet? So the house is not complete yet, but when it is, uh, there's no there's no municipal water where we are. The water is managed by the uh, the local. I'm actually in a small village of, of nine houses. And about 12 years ago, um, five of those nine houses burned down. And everybody moved out of the village except for two houses that are still occupied by people who are in their 70s. Yeah. Um, so when I came and I saw this place, I was like, wow, this is incredible. There's this incredible infrastructure that goes back hundreds of years um, in terms of like the agriculture and the terraced fields and uh, you know the, the plots where the houses used to be that I felt like this place really has a potential to be that kind of um, like a model for like a sustainable revitalization of the Japanese countryside. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, um, exactly. That was kind of like the vision that I had when when I came out here and I started this project. And I mean, over the years, I, I I've been you know kind of uh, tempered by reality, uh, in the sense that like. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to get like local cooperation sometimes building relationships takes, takes time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit impatient. I just want, you know, I see, I have a vision for what could be here and I see such a wasted opportunity that I kind of just want to, to make something happen. Um, so it's frustrating, uh, in, in that sense. Um, but it, it's an incredible spot. And uh, yeah, that's why we, we chose the location. We're not on municipal water. We, we get the, the water as, um, what do you call it? Like just managed by this locality of the, of the five, six houses. They have like a local spring and it's gravity fed from across the valley down across the river to a cistern that feeds all the houses, but half the houses burned down. So right now they have, uh, they have, they have a lot of water in the tank. Uh, and then in terms of the other, um, uh, energy and yeah, it's no problem with electricity. The plan is to have an off-grid photovoltaic uh, system. I mean, I have the batteries and charge controller and panels uh, set up and just on maintenance mode, but we haven't attached it to the house yet. Uh, and I, I'll probably try to implement like a the battery system as a backup or, or as a um, like a, a normal use system. And then if we don't have enough charge in the batteries, we can switch over to Toden uh, if necessary. And then uh, gas, I'm not 100 certain if I'm going to implement gas in the house. Um, right now at the guest house, we have a wood fired bathtub and it might be a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> last time, let, can I can I jump in on that for a second? <laughs> last, last, yeah, last time I was there, this and this is after I moved out of the city. So, like, I thought that I kind of knew how to, you know, conduct myself. But I, I went to go use the wood fired bath, right? And like, it's wood fired; it's hot as shit, <laughs> and like basically boiling. <laughs> And so I'm standing there, like dipping my toe in it, being like, ah, well, like, whoa, how, what? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to get into this? And of course, I see that there is a spigot with a, 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 a nozzle on it. And I'm just not putting two and two together of like, 
oh, wait, I'm supposed to turn the cold water on to manage the hotness of the boiling water. Did not click at all. Uh, I think I stood in that tub for like 20 seconds or something. And I was just like, oh, I'm out. I'm like, forget this. I'm done. I was going to say, is that also the cause for like those five other houses burning down? <laughs> no, no, no. That's a different... Um, so, Byron, that's... that's that was good. Pretty big project, right? About the um about the wood fired bath, is that um, you know, it's not something that we realized until we started living like that, having the wood fired bath. That, you know, we are in such a rush for convenience in our modern lifestyle that everything, whether it's about the bath or the lights or anything like building a new house, is all about how can we make everything faster and more convenient and at our fingertips and just at the press of a button, you know, get the lights on, get everything dimmed. And what I found since using this bath over the last couple of years is that this, it's almost like planned inconvenience. The time that you <laughs> pay from yourself to, 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 to stop what you're doing and light the fire and uh, the smoke um, and, and, and that, that feeling of just like sitting in the bath, um, you know, it's, it's a bit corny, but like it, it, it's very meditative and it, it, it really kind of gives you a different perspective that like, what are, what are we in such a rush for, you know? And that's kind of where the whole house build thing, uh, with my personal house that I'm building out here, that's over the past of like four or five years, how that got started, that I was kind of in it for trying to number one, learn the techniques and the processes. So I could maybe, you know, put those, that knowledge to use somehow. And number two, I, I just wanted something that meant something by, by, by not, not something that was mass produced and, and built in like a second, but I wanted something that had memories and, and value behind it and kind of was looking for that, that deeper meaning, especially after coming away from my Tokyo consumer lifestyle at the time. So yeah, that's kind of the, what started the whole process? Um, oh. Hi, oh, sorry, Byron. I'm I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump in here. I've been very I've been very quiet, um, Byron. You may not know me, um, but I am really into the short term rental mm -hmm. business, mm -hmm. and I see that you've got a short term rental component to your business. There, this yeah. storytelling and this you know this history is 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 extremely compelling, and it's very authentic. Are you able to sort of, uh, you know, how are you leveraging that to, you know, either through social media to actually, to actually find people who want what you've like, who want to find what you've got and and bottle it and and uh, and enjoy it for themselves. I know what you mean. I, I, you know, my my background before I started the. Um, the uh, the guest house out here. I was running Airbnbs in Tokyo. I had I had three or four units that I was renting and then subletting out. And then obviously after the rules and the regulations changed, uh, we we had to kind of shut down the business in Tokyo. And then with the guest house out here, we got all the licensing and everything uh, sorted so that we're operating as a as a ryokan technically. We we have a um, noka minpaku, which is not minpaku, but rather like a, a farm stay that right. we're offering. Yeah. And, you know, my when we started it, I had very kind of lofty ideals in terms of the message and the experience that we wanted to offer to guests. And what I found, though, especially with the domestic Japanese guests, were that the people that were coming that were really paying the bills that were coming in large groups that were uh, really um, my, my core customer base, so to speak, couldn't really give a shit about any of the eco 
like you know storytelling behind what we were doing and um what, what, what were they there for they were there for just you know like a big nice kominka that they could rent and have a party or or um you know get wasted and uh do a barbecue and go play in the river. And it's very typical. Like everybody who comes in the summer, they want to barbecue. They want to do Hanabi and they want to uh, go to the river. And so in the beginning, when we started the rental, we were like, man, there's so much more out here. There's so much culture. There's so much, you know, like more of a deep experience that you could have when you come out here. And we kept trying to kind of like push our customers in that direction, but it was like, you know, forcing the camel to drink from the well when they don't want to kind of, um, you know, it, it seemed like a losing battle. That, that being said, we, we did get, you know, we, and we continue to get individuals that really resonate with what we're doing and are really interested in it and really appreciate the storytelling and appreciate the, the values that we're trying to communicate in what we're doing. But it gives us pause to think, like, okay, if we're in this for the money, it's one thing if it's our lifestyle and we're just sharing our lifestyle as, you know, an extension of, you know, our values and everything. It's another thing if we're doing this as uh, a business and a money-making endeavor. And if that's the case, then maybe there's a different market market that we should be targeting with what we're doing. Um, because the numbers, I mean, ultimately, big groups of Japanese people pay a lot more than individual foreign travelers who are really looking for a deep, authentic experience in the Japanese countryside, uh, unless targeting very wealthy um, individuals, you know? So we're, we're kind of being forced to reanalyze our, our market and, and, and the direction we want to take it in the future. That's that's really that's really interesting, um, you know. And I'd like to I'd love to dig in with you offline with that. That's a, that's a that's a really interesting point of view. But is it that storytelling? Is that a way for you to actually leverage assistance from, say, the local hokenjo, from the local um, from the local government office to say, oh, this is this is what we're trying to show in the area. Please give me money or please give me support. Um, uh, and then you know, then if the guests show up and they're only interested in you know, like barbecuing in the in the garden, then that's fine. But you know, I'm just looking at how you can leverage that um, that story. Yeah, I think I think there is um, there is opportunity to do that. Um, what what I, I'd like to do. So just a, a little additional background. Um, the plan with this house that's under construction right now is that we're, we're trying to finish it by the end of this year. Um, and, you know, prior to COVID and the border restrictions, uh, you know, we operate an organic farm and we constantly have volunteers uh, that are here on the farm, not only helping with the agriculture, but also helping with the natural building projects and the renovation stuff that we've been doing over the years. Um, however, that, that source of labor, as it were, um, has been completely cut off over the last, three years for myself. And so, you know, what was supposed to be finished two, three years ago has now, you know, taken much longer because it's basically been me by myself, completely overwhelmed, trying to manage numerous other things on the side, you know, having a third kid, all that stuff. Um, while, while trying to finish this massive house that, that I, I've bit off more than I can chew, you know? Um, yes. So they're, they're woofers. That, they're, are they woofers that you've been using? That's right. And there's no ja Japanese woofing that doesn't really much of an appetite for Japanese the local? The commitment is different in the sense that the Japanese are coming for like a day or a weekend at most to do, they have rent that they're paying somewhere, you know, they live here and they're just <laughs> right. 
when 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 it's when it's um you know convenient for them whereas the foreigners who are coming are committing for like you know a month or three months time and and it's it's they're here every day and the learning curve by the time that's worn off you know then we're really productive and we we build a good rapport and a good team so it's a really different experience um and you know for me that's been the main motivation with this experience to keep going that you know it's just sharing that with other people has been kind of what what's kept me along all this time and yeah we're we're at the end of the uh the line here thankfully you know we're very close to finishing it and uh in the interim though we've been living at the guest house and so trying to manage a guest house while living at the guest house with a family you can imagine what a nightmare that is mm-hmm. um, when you're trying to, uh, you know, you want to maximize your potential income and you want to promote it and, and get people in, but you also, you know, are living your life and you need to kind of like strike that balance. So our plan is as soon as the house is complete, we get out of the guest house and then we kind of rebrand and reanalyze where we want to take it and then really focus on, on trying to promote it more because, you know, honestly, we, we haven't been that proactive in, in how we market ourselves. Um, despite that, we've still been able to, to, to make good income with it over the years. How long has it taken you this entire project? I mean, from the moment you had the idea and moved out there to, to now that you're near completion. We, we renovated the Kominka five years ago. Uh, and uh, the first couple of years was still before the Airbnb uh, laws had been changed. So we didn't have a license when we first started. And uh, then we, we also started the house build here around that same time. Uh, and obviously it's hard to do two projects at once. And so the, the renovation of the, of the Kominka was done first. And then uh, we regrouped and put our resources towards working on this house. Um, and then since that, I've, I've worked on a couple of other projects, like building an, a, a tiny house using natural materials here locally, which my wife is using as, a, as an office. And we're kind of exploring the idea of if the market, if there's a market for that kind of product here in Japan, um, you know, for some kind of like locally sourced materials and natural materials, building a, a tiny house or a tiny office type space um, with that. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm looking to do in the next uh year is invest in some real estate here locally uh with a partner uh we're looking to potentially buy some uh some old or maybe not too old maybe you know 30 40 year old houses and then renovate them using natural materials and to kind of build a brand and uh you know kind of build some some passive income through real estate in in this local area because Fujino, it's it's a very it's an it's a unique market, you know. Like, it's the countryside, but it's so close to Tokyo, and over fifty percent of the population is people who've moved here, and there's a lot of alternative people living here. So it's it's got a lot of demand in terms of uh, the property. I'm sure. Matt- and what it's it's like an hour on the express. It's like an hour outside of Shinjuku, right? It's one hour by car to, to central Tokyo. Yeah. So we we tend to refer to that as like convenient Inako. Um, and there's a massive art artist community, as as you mentioned, creative wise. In fact, I mean, it even has a history as like I don't know if outcast is the right word, but like the weirdos <laughs> of of the creative side of things tend tend to towards uh, the Fujino area, amongst a few others. Yeah, there's um, creative people. There's a lot of people in, interested in sustainability and uh, permaculture. And, and wasn't it, isn't it the home of like the first permaculture center in Japan? It was the first transition town in Japan. It's okay. the home 
the, 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 the permaculture center here in Japan. And uh, there's a, a Steiner or a Waldorf school here. So that's one of the big draws for working Tokyo families who are looking to relocate here and either buy or build uh, a house uh, in the area. So the real estate demand is very high and the supply is, is relatively low in the area. Um, so I, I feel like it's a, it's a good market to be for myself. Especially. So when, when you say property investment, I, I'm, I'm from the investment background here on the panel. So when you say property investment, what sort of investments are you thinking of? I mean, obviously, in those areas, you're probably not buying for capital increase in value or anything of that sort. So what, yeah. you'd be renting them out short term or? Buying uh, properties and then renovating using the local craftsmen, and I mean, I've now built up the knowledge base and the network to be able to kind of really cost-effectively uh, do this kind of work. Uh, at least manage the manage the construction and contracting side of it. Um, and then the end game is either to flip the the properties and sell them um, after as the what? as holiday homes or. Well, no, no. As 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 I said, the Steiner School. Every year, there's like 20 <laughs> families that come move here from Tokyo that want to send their kids to school here. Um, so it's a huge draw, and there's a, a big lack of 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 decent housing options. Yeah, the- we've we've worked out there uh, with a few clients, and the uh, the stock is at least the good stock anyway is relatively low. So what Byron's talking about is so actually definitely- family home flipping kind of thing, like renovating and flipping them. Flipping, renovating and flipping family homes and either selling them or holding and renting uh, them and, and then just taking it from there. At least that's what I'm thinking as soon as this house is, is finished. I, I have a question, uh, Byron, Tracy here again. Um, how uh, every shiaksho, hokenjo, is, uh, has their um, differences in how you work with them. Have you found the local uh, hokenjo to be helpful for what you're trying to do? Um, have they provided you resources? Have they provided you with like, you know, fast tracking to get your licenses done? Um, no. Don't be polite. <laughs> Don't be polite, be honest. I mean, if someone if someone is looking at going and investing in, you know, different different areas, they've got to know that that the, the regulations are really done on a on a local on a local basis. So I'm always curious to know what how friendly they are. I think that that Fujino in particular, because of of the um, the merger with Sagamihara City, uh, the seat of government is in Sagamihara, which is a world away from the kind of needs of residents of Fujino. Um, it's a very, very different lifestyle, but, you know, all the bureaucrats that manage this area are, are you know, their, their, um, their mind and their incentives and, and their kind of, their um, thinking is kind of in a different, different uh, environment, so to speak. And so what, what I've found in my experience is that if you go to very remote localities, you know, like you go up to Nagano or you go to Yamagata or, you know, Tohoku or somewhere where very far away from Tokyo, the localities tend to be a lot more, they have a lot more incentive to really kind of, you know, get people in and, mm-hmm. and people who are trying to start things and the Akia, Kominka banks are, are a lot more active. And Fujino yep. is... Yep, yep. 
you know, close to the city, the 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 priorities of the bureaucrats is more about, you know, how do we get like big businesses and, and companies in so they can build like a factory in Sagamihara, yeah. not like how do we support like farmers and entrepreneurs in, in, in Fujino, which is kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, and so they they they're more than happy to come and you know showcase Fujino when they feel like it'll help them promote. Uh, Sagamihara city in general, like, hey, look what Fujino, look what Sagamihara can offer. You know, there's all these hippie people out here doing this crap in the countryside. Um, so when there's an opportunity for that kind of thing, they're more than happy to come come out and 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 schmooze with you. But I haven't found the bureaucrats to be very proactive or helpful in terms of trying to get done the things that need to be done in order to make my life easier out here doing what I'm doing. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. I mean, there are some places yeah. that, that, you know, especially remote places, you know, if you say that you're going to be starting up a guest house and trying to be bringing people here, often you get, you know, like, uh, like a dedicated liaison within the gov within the, within the office. But, you know, there are other places that just don't, that just don't see it, that just don't care. Yeah. No, which we've, is we've, we've, We've found that there, there's basically an inverse correlation between proximity to the city, major city centers and the quality of Akia banks and municipal assistance programs. Um, the further away you get from big cities, the more help you can expect to find, basically. And as a side note, I've, I've found, you know, over the years, I, I, I initially did work closely with not Sagamihara, but when we were renovating the guest house, which isn't technically Yamanashi, I worked with the local Yamanashi uh, government, and they were very proactive in terms of trying to assist in any way that they could in terms of me, you know, trying to get the house renovated and then promoting it after I, I finished. Um, do you know the, in Japanese, I think it's called the Kyodokutai. They're, they're, they're hired by the local municipalities and oftentimes they're not local people, but people from Tokyo that have work experience in, in the private sector. And then they're hired maybe as like a kominka iju liaison to help people who are trying to relocate to the area. Man, maybe it was just my isolated experience that I had with this guy, but it turned out to be more trouble than it was worth because the guy just, you know, he was from Tokyo and he was looking at it the same way that I was looking at it in a very like, you know, uh, proactive kind of uh, Tokyo type of big city mentality. But he wound up destroying a lot of relationships with local people who are like, this guy, look at this guy from the city. He's coming and, you know, thinks he knows what's up and, and telling us, you know, this and that. And so his involvement in my project, in a sense, kind of set me back, um, you know, when we, first, when we were first starting out. And I was like, man, this is just a time suck, you know, working with the local bureaucrats, because in the end, he's not a local Inaka person, at least in, in the area where I was. It was like, you know, so he uh, it was a question of like who who had who could build more trust and rapport with the locals, myself as a foreigner or or this guy who didn't even have the burner appeal, you know? That was going to be my next question, actually. How what we often experience um, deep-seated, uh, let's call it, uh, aversion to foreigners in these countryside locations, like, uh, you know, you guys coming in here to buy your fancy holiday homes and rent the place out to your Airbnb buddies. We don't want you here. Have you run across any sort of resistance like that? I mean, initially in the village where we renovated the guest house, 
Um, you know, we, we opened up a big forum at the local town meeting of the village, you know, and uh, we, we listened to all the locals' concerns and I gave a, a little spiel about uh, what uh, our intentions were and what the plan with the guest house was. And it was clear that, uh, you know, a lot of the concerns that people had was um, mostly about, okay, what are we going to do if there's foreigners who come and cause a problem and we can't communicate with them because they don't speak Japanese. And what eventually happened was all the problems that did arise was caused by Japanese people who just wanted to get into barbecues. And all the foreigners that did show up were all foreigners who were like really deep in Japan, who spoke Japanese and really respected Japanese culture. Um, so ultimately, you know, we haven't really had any big issues, um, you know, over the course of four or five years. And of course, me and my family living at the property over the last couple of years has really helped to kind of build relationships with the local people. Um, to the point where now, you know, if we can find another house in the village and, and build another unit in the, in the same area, maybe we can get some kind of critical mass and build kind of a, a hub uh, of tourism and agritourism in the area um, and hopefully get a bit more local support in the, in the process. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. So how are you? Because that's a big project. You've mentioned about five years and I'm guessing not all of it was fully hands on. But how are you? Um, if it's not too personal, the question, how are you supporting yourself throughout this period? No, the, the, the first renovation was about one year. Uh, we started the project five years ago, but it took about one year to renovate the whole project, to, to renovate the whole house. And 
Yeah, we've, you know, my, my, my background was in recruitment and consulting. And when we first up here, I was kind of supplementing the, uh, the, you know, the projects that we were doing here in our lifestyle with this recruitment and consulting uh, income working virtually and going to Tokyo from time to time. And then, you know, we were getting cash flow from the Airbnb business, Airbnb business in Tokyo, um, which during the heyday when we first started, I mean, it was, you know, we were making 300, 400% of our, of our cost on a, on a unit, um, you know, when we, when we first started uh, just subletting it and, and running it as an Airbnb. Um, man, those days have changed. <laughs> yeah, right. I, like, I think that any any short term stay person, Airbnb experience person, knows the term heyday, and we all refer to it in the, oh, the pre regulation heyday, the golden um, years. I, I think I had a dozen a dozen properties at that time. Yeah, I had I had thirty. I had thirty, Byron. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So I, I my my friend who kind of got me into it, he had. 12 or 13 in Tokyo. And he was lucky enough to be able to leverage that. And, and, um, you know, I guess it wasn't luck, but rather timing and, and, you know, the initiative. Um, but he was able to then purchase uh, three units in Tokyo. And now he's not Airbnb being any of them, but just renting them out to, to general um, renters. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it was, it was that uh, cash flow that helped me renovate the property out here and then get the regulations and everything set up. Uh, and I mean, my costs are low, right. Compared to the Tokyo market, um, you know, the rent and expenses and, and everything, uh, on the property is, is very cheap. Uh, and you know, our, our pricing structure and, uh, you know, when we rent it out to a big group of, of nine or 10 people, um, you know, it can be, you know, 10, 10, 15 mon for one, for one booking at a time. So, um, you know, there's definitely value in targeting that non-Japanese, that Japanese market that just wants to come and, and, and do barbecue to the extent that we're like, man, maybe we should just operate barbecue, uh, barbecue uh, sites in the area and forget the whole ecotourism and, and, and all our, our values and, 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 you know, <laughs> and everything. Embrace the-, the market. <laughs> just come and barbecue all day long. You know? Give us your money. Yeah, exactly. It's you need that balance between sustainability, like you know, there's idealism, and then you need yeah. to be able to sustain it at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. It gives us pause to kind of, you know, look. Well, but I mean, and and I mean, Byron, you know, you're one of like one of, if not the top person, well, yourself and Cody are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're about as close to doing like the dream as I can think of, and I mm-hmm. over the years, like <laughs> I know a lot of people are trying to do this shit. Everyone tells um, me. You know, and and it's not all it's cracked up to be. And like, well, I mean, like Emil was saying, look, there's there's balance, okay? There's idealism, and everybody can be idealistic. And you know what? Unfortunately, you're gonna fail <laughs> if you're an idealist. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, like the 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 COVID restrictions, I mean, it it gutted us over the last two three years. You know, like the hospitality business uh, in the first year. You know, we were able to get some some grants to tide us over uh, in the short term from the Japanese government. Um, but like, you know, it certainly realized it, it certainly gave us um, perspective in terms of, you know, our, our, our lifestyle and the cash flow that we had 
and also the market that we were in and the business that we were doing, you know, for the, in the short term, we started operating like a boutique farm and uh, a vegetable service to the, the Tokyo expat market uh, through Kasamatsu Farms, which is our, the brand that we have for our, our, our organic farm out here. Uh, we were growing vegetables and, and raising free range uh, eggs uh, from chickens out here and then sending it to, to expats. And to be fair, I mean, selling it at a very good price, but I mean, it's just, it's our lifestyle. It's not like a scalable business right, uh, right, right. that the hard way after, after two years of, 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 of trying to kind of explore it um, that, you know, it, this is not something you do to, to make money and, and sustain your, your lifestyle. It's something to do when you're retired or, or when you've got another source of income and you're just. Um, right. And, and that other source of income thing, I think is again, Emil was kind of talking about with the balance, like introduce mm -hmm. the sustainable elements that you can, when you can, when it's reasonable, but mm -hmm. also have, you know, passive or active income. That's maybe more consumerist focused and whatnot. But at the same time, also be, because I think you guys are, what you guys do is just an outstanding example of what can be accomplished right now, not in an idealistic sense, but in a reasonable and, and actionable sense, right? And so with regards to potentially, you know, influencing or affecting a critical mass, for lack of a better term, of more people doing something similar to what you guys are up to, mm. which would then kind of raise the social consciousness of the ideas of sustainability and hopefully you know, in a few years time, push, you know, the envelope towards more sustainable practices, more generally speaking, yeah. I think like you guys are an outstanding example of, you know, a shining example really of, of, of what that can look like. Are you so, part of the uh, conversation and community in other countries on the, uh, you know, off the grid or ecotourism or sustainable living as well? Do you find any of the challenges that you've run across, you know, more of them or less of them or just different in Japan than they are in other countries and other people that are doing similar things in other places? Well, I think Japan is very, um, it's a very small country, right? And land access, uh, at least in my context, in, I'm not up in Hokkaido or Nagano. And so I've always kind of been frustrated by uh, you know, the way that land, agricultural land and residential land in the area is parceled. Uh, you know, it's, it, into very illogical um, plots. And do, you, do you still have that weird parcel that's like right in the middle of everything that you can't? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> farm plot here and another farm plot there. But then some other dude owns this thin strip down the center of it. And uh, there's just lots of instances like that. That it, I mean, if you're looking at it from a permaculture design perspective, it's it's a design limitation, you know, like you, you just have to think about how you can design around that in terms of, of how you build your system. Uh, if you're trying to kind of achieve some kind of sustainable lifestyle out here, you know, that that land access is the biggest issue that I've found. And it's something that, you know, they say. We're going to hit critical mass. We're going to, things are going to change. The laws and regulations are going to change five years, 10 years. They've been saying it and I'm still waiting for it to happen. Uh, so I, I don't put much stock in waiting for the Japanese government to really be proactive in, in changing things. But maybe, I mean, slowly 
behind the the scenes things are hopefully changing and i'm just not realizing it cuz i'm i'm, I'm looking i mean at- that's 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 where for me you know it's kind of a blunt force sort of thing do what you can with what you got and what you can find don't wait for the laws to change cuz it's going to take time obviously do things within you know within yeah. the law and what not but just with outside of the box thinking cuz again if you if if you ask for permission and wait for it to be granted someday never comes you know what i mean you know there's there's so much like romance involved in renting or buying and renovating a house in the japanese countryside i mean it's been so popularized by uh, media and uh it's 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 such like a like a like a romantic visceral experience for people and so i've i've done that now i've gotten it out of my system so to speak and i've been a lot prog- more pragmatic and a, and a lot less idealistic um, in the process that now going forward, I'm like, okay, hmm, if I'm going to invest in a house in the countryside, does it need to be a 150 year old house? Do I need to be doing like earthen wall construction and natural building techniques? Um, if I'm going to be renting it out to people who don't really appreciate it. Um, those are all really, you know, like valid questions that I ask myself uh, going forward. So I, I do think that, um, you know, just to go back to the question about, you know, how do I sustain myself and how do we, how do we make ends meet out here that I, I think, um, at least for myself in my, uh, my, my own situation, you know, I'm, I'm education and providing that kind of, uh, farm to table or ecotourism type experience, and then providing some kind of like, uh, workshops or education around what I'm doing. Those are all wonderful things and something that, you know, we can offer just by showcasing our lifestyle and what we've done and built here over the years. Um, but I do think that the real estate and that the, you know, like natural building or construction consulting and working with local clients that are looking to do builds and then managing these kind of projects in the area is probably something that's more realistic, uh, for me to put my energy and time into just in terms of trying to kind of, um, you know, build that ca- positive cash flow and, and, and build, um, more of a business around what I'm doing out here. Well, you sound, um, you sound very practical and yet not um, not uh, not too bitter about it. So I guess it's, <laughs> it's going in the right direction. You've just had to make some course corrections along the way, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the bitterness bitterness to a minimum. <laughs> the, the, the Japanese old man Inaka old man uh, stereotype is not is not. But I, that's a very interesting point that you make about the way the land is structured or, or divided here. I guess I guess if you had like um. Five acres in Montana, your life would have been a lot easier, right? Exactly. And I, I constantly question myself out here, like, what am I doing? You know, here I am, you know, stressing out about how, you know, can I get access to like 100 square meters of, of property that's like a thorn in my side? And like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, is, is that worth it? You know, wouldn't I rather be in, in, in a place where I just have three, four acres and I don't have to uh, think about, you know, worrying about appeasing the neighbors and bringing sake to somebody so I can... <laughs> Smooth over relations and and this and that. So, yeah, well, I can't Byron, could you like I just could you just turn your camera? Like I just want to have a look at the. Yeah, area I was going to ask you in, to get like, some yeah. uh, pictures or walk through yeah, videos like, if you have them yeah. as well. Yeah, sure. I can I can go inside the house and just give you uh, a bit of a. Oh, brief. that would be that would be phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, if you could. Yeah, like, we've been talking about it. I want to see it. Oh, yeah, let me. Uh, I'll put you on the spotlight. There. Oh, I've done that. You've I've done, done that. Thank I've you. put him on spotlight. Yeah. All right, so this is the front of the house alongside the road. Um, you can see 
the wall construction. This is my blue healer. His name's Odin. <laughs> Louis. I love blue healers. They're the best. Yeah. Um, the walls are built using this material called light straw clay. And so it's, you can see the wall cavities. It's about 30, almost 40 centimeters thick. Um, wow super well insulated. And then what's gonna happen on the exterior here is it's gonna get a thin layer of mud, which is what is fermenting in this, in this thing here. It's just straw and clay that's breaking down, breaking down the fibers of the straw. And then that's gonna get mixed and applied to the walls. But is that the cob that we were making last time I was up there? No, so that stuff that we mixed had sand mixed into it. Ah, right, right, right. It's used for the interior walls uh, which is like a Japanese earthen wall, uh, traditional material. So I've seen those in, in Kyoto wall. projects. They're beautiful. They're so warm. Mm. Bamboo lattice uh, inside the walls. You can see the ceilings are vaulted. And I'm probably going to do some kind of really eclectic like wallpaper in between those roof jousts, uh, almost like a circus tent kind of, you know, you can kind of imagine. Uh, it's kind of like a mix aesthetically of, of traditional Japanese, like aesthetic with kind of Western living and lifestyle. So I've got a, a steel staircase here that's going to be going up to the loft area where we're having a railing put in here by a metal artist. And that's going to be where the children's room is. And then this is going to be like the children's study. The view is is really epic. I mean, it's, it's overlooking the oh, mountain. Spectacular. mountains over there. And then that's the border of Yamanashi and the local onsen you can see in the mountains in the distance. No power cables. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be kind of like the family living room. And then I've got this bamboo feature that I made here in the wall. Nice. Round circled window. And then this is what the walls are going to look like once they've been gotten the second layer of plaster over it. So... I have a friend who's a, 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 you know, he's a professional plasterer and he came a couple of weeks ago and we did a few of these walls. Uh, but this is also clay and earth, just a finer mix uh, compared to what the rough walls are made of. Here you can see. So, that's the, the, so, so this, you've rendered that yourself, right? Like you made the clay sort of mix and, and you just sort of render it on? No. So the walls themselves are made using like a bamboo lattice uh, that's attached mm -hmm. inside. Uh, let me see if there's a good example. Here you can kind of see on the wall, do you see like there's slightly discolored horizontal uh, strips, right? So because mm -hmm. it's traditional Japanese construction, it doesn't have diagonal uh, supports inside the wall. It's held by these lateral uh, strips of wood that are then wedged into the posts and then held in place by wooden wedges. Uh, those are called okay. nuki in Japanese. And so at <laughs> nuki is uh, a bamboo lattice and then the mud mix is mixed and then applied to that bamboo lattice so the walls themselves are probably you've got the lattice in the middle and then maybe uh, oh. or four centimeters on this lattice so it's about you know six to eight centimeters thick the walls themselves inside the house okay. and, and, but the, the actual surface the, the finished surface of the wall is actually that rendered no so this clay. layer or and then of that it gets this material, which is uh, like, it's, I mean, it's also earthen plaster, but it's a finer uh, mix that's been 
somewhat professionally applied. So the finish is a lot cleaner and nicer and uh, it has the same um, vapor, uh, vapor um, permeability uh, aspects of, of natural, natural materials okay, that with, with plywood, something like that. Um, this is gonna be the bathroom and shower. It's Western style with like a shower room and I'm gonna have a toilet in the same room and a, and a sink and a big uh, mirror on the wall here. Um, this is gonna get FRP uh, waterproofing in the next week or so. And then we're probably gonna tile the, the whole room doing like either some kind of Moroccan tile type thing or subway tiles. Um, and then this is gonna be, or this is the main staircase of the house to go downstairs. So you come in on the mezzanine floor and then uh, the first floor is kind of the living area. The second floor is mostly bedrooms. And then the only tatami room in the house is gonna be here in the center. I have this wild log here where the, the stairs are, are wedged into this massive uh, momiji log. This is a maple log. And then this is gonna be the one tatami room. Some nice details on the ceiling that we've done. And uh, these walls have already gotten the finished plastering. Um, a lot of the wood and the timber that you see, like these kayaki beams and these big beams on the top, those are all things that I've cut down or I've bought directly from lumberjacks in the, in the area. And then these big beams, these are like 10 meter long logs. And they're, they, they, it's like one piece basically that goes across the whole uh, top. And I've got like 13 or 14 of those making up the whole frame of the first floor and, and the third floor. So Byron, just to clarify, this is not something that you've um, purchased traditional home that you're renovating. This is all built from scratch, isn't it? From scratch and hand hewn. And uh, you know, I've been, I, I had a local uh, master carpenter who had done all the sumitsuke, like he was marking out the posts and the beams uh, where the mortises and the tendons were gonna go. And then me, Uh, has he gone quiet? I think oh, we lost, lost him. him. Oh, we've lost him. Oh, no. Okay. We've lost what him. What an amazing... amazing <laughs> wow, what an amazing place. Oh, you have no I, idea. It's, it's, I didn't know what I mean, to expect, but wow. Th this is good, but, like, actually getting there is a whole other level. Like, it's crazy. I mean, the farm is right below. He hasn't shown you that. They've got a pizza oven right outside. Um, there's a whole other uh, kind of house sort of thing, like campsite uh, on the other side of the road. Uh, it's like I said before we started recording, like if seven-year-old me saw this, mm. I would just be going absolutely apeshit over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. How far, and how far is it from the, uh, the Echo Lodge? Uh, it's probably like, it's like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, driving, driving. Okay. Right. Um, right. I can send the addresses and stuff, or maybe I already did, but I can resend. Well, I mean, them. obviously, we want to link to we want to link to his like. And I, I was going to ask him if he had a private booking site as well as the Airbnb. So, mm. but I mean, yeah. you know, once he's up, once he's getting this up and running, actually marketing it is almost like a full time job as well. Like you know, and he yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems to I mean, have two full time jobs already: building the house and doing that and growing the vegetables. So he's got three right. kids. Like I mean, 
Oh, yeah, three, I'm like, kids, I, right? I, like I've, I've barely find time to, to you know, <laughs> shave my head. To work out, you, Emil. Like, yeah. <laughs> I only yeah. have one. I have no excuse. So. Well, we seem <laughs> to have lost him. And oh no, 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 hang on, he's coming back. He just saw me he's in the waiting room. He's no, in not in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. That that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I highly suggest going up and staying at go. the Eagle Lodge. I'm look honestly. I'm looking at it going. I need to book, take my family up here because if it's only an hour out of, you know, if it's oh, only an hour's back. drive, oh, he's back. He's back. There he is. Sorry about that. We got we got to your um uh the, you had a master carpenter who was doing something and we, that's where we got to. So the master carpenter had done all the uh, sumitsuke. So he had written, he had drawn on the logs where the mortise and tendons were going to be. And okay, sorry, Tracy, can you put him back on the main, the main yep, screen? Got there it. Go. Yeah, sorry, carry on, Mario. Yeah, and uh, and me and the volunteers had done all the shaping and uh, chiseling uh, to do all the traditional joinery uh, everywhere on the ceiling. And then, so this sunroom is going to be connected to this. Uh, dining and living room where I'm standing now. And Aww. so the floor is going to be flush here and there's not going to be a separation. So this is like an extension of the living room. We're going to put glazing in between here. And then I have this nice metal uh, planter that I had custom made here. And that's going to get filled with soil. So the idea is to have like a little kitchen herb garden uh, growing inside this greenhouse, which is attached to the south side of the of the structure. And then use that to passively heat the, the space in the... Uh, in the, the winter time. That's amazing. And then just the, the final, uh, this is gonna be the kitchen and uh, main, I'm gonna have probably like a nice slab out here, counter and like an island in the center and then tiling on, on this wall here. And then back here, there's just another smaller washroom and toilet. And I have, this lots of kind of like basement storage space down here where we've done this is amazing. a lot of concrete and we're work. now in we're recording this in September and you said that you'll be done by the end of the year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've I I'm at the point now where I'm so past DIY that I just want to hire um enough people <laughs> and uh you know, get in here of, and finish this. <laughs> it, it it looks like there's still a lot to do, but there's actually um you know, most of the work is is definitely behind us. And uh, it's uh, it's good to be kind of on the final stretch here. I'll just walk and, and kind of give you a shot of it. I did the the the, the tile roofing on the roof myself as well, the kawara on the on the roof. And man, that was that was a learning curve as well. This is amazing work that you've done. Incredible. With yeah. So would you do it again? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Emil. That's why he said consulting. He's going to support other people as they do it. Exactly. Have you thought of getting some interns, um, you know, some interns, uh, because you can get them in on a, like, there are agencies that, um, because there's a ton of people who want to come to Japan, Mm -hmm. and if you've got a job for them as an intern, uh, because you've got place to put them up, Mm. Um, you could uh, grab yourself some willing workers. If they're not wolfing, they can be uh, inter- like actual interns for you. Yeah. Um, actually, in September, there's two Dutch guys that are coming on an internship. Uh, oh, beauty. Oh, already come- ahead of me. <laughs> one had come on an internship uh, three years ago before COVID and was planning on coming back, but then 
things got put on hold for two, three years because of the visa restrictions. Um, he's finally going to be able to come in September. And then there's an, another Dutch student uh, that's going to be coming, getting like university credit. Um, so oh, okay. oh. The, the, the Wolfing is on the exterior of the house. Wolfing is gives farm, farm experience. You get a visa to go and volunteer on a farm. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe you get a visa. It stands for Willing Workers on Organic Farms, WWOOF. I'm, I'm a woofer, or I used to be anyway. Um, I, used to be, I used to be a woofer. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a worldwide thing, Emil. It's not just Japan. So. Okay. I haven't heard that before. The last thing I would add is that on the exterior here, uh, we're going to put wooden siding probably where these horizontal strips of wood are. And then you can see the bit... Just in the below the, the top windows there, how there's like an angle. Uh, we're probably going to finish just below the eaves of the house with uh, natural plaster. Um, but the, the horizontal siding will go onto those wooden strips there. And uh, yeah, there's just a layer of earth in between there. So that's about the extent of the, uh, I mean, I have some other details and other crazy things that I, I want to do with the exterior here. Um, but maybe that's for another time. That's amazing. How do you move those logs, Byron? They are massive and they are heavy. Yeah, we've done some crazy stuff, man. When I look back on it, you know, a lot of the rocks that we used were from Mount Fuji. And we, I, I remember driving up to Mount Fuji, getting the Fujisan Yogan, uh, loading them into the back of a four-ton truck and then driving like five or six loads of them over here where we, I, you know, I think about the, the, the physical human energy and the... That just the mass of the the you know all the earth and the clay and how many tons of material go into building a house of scale, and it's just kind of awe inspiring and it's no wonder why people don't um, <laughs> houses like this anymore. It's entirely uh, too much work. <laughs> and you know when I first started, I was I was talking with you know I, I talked to so many carpenters and so many builders and architects trying to find someone who would come with me on this journey, uh, trying to build this house the way I wanted it. And, you know, everybody I talked to was like, ah, no, it's not possible. No way. You know, like tradies and carpenters, they don't want to work on a job that's going to take five years. You know, they, they want to get in and get out and get on to the next thing. Um, and so I finally found this guy who was willing to, to help. And um, yeah, there it, it's very hard to, to find craftsmen to work with you on something like this. Well, you've done amazing work, man. We really appreciate you uh, showing yeah. us around, but also all of the conversation leading into that. I think this would be really eye-opening for a lot of people who have been asking questions about this. Uh, I know that we re regularly, and Matt knows this very well, we regularly get asked questions about uh, buying these old places in the countryside, and even the work involved in bringing an existing place up to speed tends to turn people off after they actually realize what's involved. Mm. So um, you're, you're talking about doing everything from scratch. It's remarkable what you've done there. I certainly wouldn't do it again. And, you know, when, when I started this process, by the way, this is the, the tiny house that, that I built for my, uh, my wife that she's using as her office. That's adorable. <laughs> built with all natural materials. I've, it's got the chicken coop running right in front of it. Chickens is are that, running. Is that yakisugi? Yakisugi on the exterior and it's sitting on like a steel frame. So the idea was I wanted something that could be picked up and put on the back of a truck and then yeah. drop like a parking space, um, maybe in like a more urban environment. Um, and this was just kind of like a beta version to see, uh, you know, what, what could be done with those kind of limitations. And so it's, it's off grid. It's got solar panels on the roof 
and it's got all the, um, the, the conveniences. It's super insulated. It's got like a cedar ceiling, Japanese cedar bark ceiling and uh, you know, nice natural flooring and earthen plaster on the walls, a nice desk here. Um, not hundred percent finished, but it's a nice, uh, a nice little model on the farm. And so my, my thoughts were, how could I, how could I potentially market this as a, uh, as um, you know, like a, a small business, but I'm, I'm not sure that maybe this is the market here in Japan. Um, people just don't have a lot of land where, I mean, the people that have land out in the countryside, there's just so many empty houses out here that, you know, why would you need to drop a tiny house like this? And then everybody that wants a tiny house office doesn't have, the space in central Tokyo to, to put something like this down anyway. So mm. there might be a market, but it just needs to be kind of thought through more. Um, I have seen Byron, um, one thing similar to that. It's these for the work from home cubicle yes. you kind yes. of put in your driveway. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what that just, what you said just sort of reminds me of. And I like, I think I just read one article on it. Um, yeah, there's that, there's that, and then there's the really depressing, like, central Tokyo station, like, subway cubicles. Yeah, the pods. Which, yeah, which yeah. are just... Coffins. I mean, but to, they, yeah, they look like suicide tanks to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Thank you very what, much you for know, coming on, Brian. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we're probably, probably at the end of our time, but uh, if people want to reach out to you um, to support or to protect... You, you mentioned... Um, actually uh, organic farm supplies as well what what other um businesses websites i mean send me the links later but what should people be looking at to get in touch with you yeah 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 we have we have um both on facebook and uh you know we have a uh, the, the the farm website the the guest house is yokomura eco lodge and that's available through airbnb um and we also have a standalone website for that that's linked with the farm the farm is kasamatsufarms.com and uh, yeah, you're able to contact me through there. And as I said, if people are looking in to doing kind of natural building projects and looking for someone to help, I'm, I'm more than happy to try to, you know, share my wealth of experience and uh, perspective. So credentials are splattered all over this video. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, Byron, I'm really keen to come out and bring my family out and, and uh, stay in that lodge. It looks amazing. And have a barbecue. <laughs> and have a barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tracy, I, I really, I'm thinking the same thing. Oh, I mean, you know, some other families, I, I could just find us going up there. Why don't we again, all go? Hey, Why hey, don't we all let, just let's, go? Let's go? Let's go for a barbecue. Do it. Just, do it. Just do it. Straight up on. People Why don't come we all just, just go and for the barbecue? made up? That's exactly. Well, yeah. Weren't, weren't, yeah, weren't y'all talking about doing a uh, some kind of convention or whatnot anyway? Mm. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, uh, so. yeah, we are talking about doing, we, and we need to talk to Emil about that. But um, no, I think it's big enough to do, you know, 16 guests. Three, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at your Airbnb site now. Um, but I, I, I thought the price was too cheap. And then I started. No, yeah. like, then I started like putting up the number of guests and I went, oh, good one. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, because I help people with their pricing strategies on Airbnb and I'm like, oh, man, you're too cheap. You're too cheap. Oh, okay. Now we're talking. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, good for you. Well, thank, thank you very much for your time today, Byron. And, thank you, uh, Byron. We'd love to have you on again um, either in person when we do an on um, a face-to-face seminar in Tokyo or, or here again. Happy to connect, yeah. Give us some when updates. you're finished, 
would be. I want to yeah. know when the finished product is ready. We'll do the, we'll do the tour then again, yeah. After the house is, is complete, love it. Yes, please. Well, thank you everyone for your time, and yep. um, right. we'll see you again next time. Yeah, and Thanks. I'll see you Saturday, Byron. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. We'll put you to work. Likewise. Yeah, please do. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. There you have it. Truly remarkable work. Would he do it again? Hell no. But don't let that discourage you, folks. If you've got, like many of our viewers who regularly tell us about, if you've got a dream of sustainable, off-the-grid living in the Japanese countryside, Byron and his family are living proof that the dream can come true. But be prepared for some seriously hard work along the way. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you.